Unfederated, a podcast for freelancers hosted by a brother and sister who are polar opposites, but have found a way to make a living doing what they love. Hey, Rob. How's it going? So good. It's going great. We, we went to the mountains this weekend. Nice. This last weekend. Yeah. And saw the, the aspens were changing colors. Um, well, they're going from like green to bright yellow, which is the, the extent of it. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, how are you doing? You know, not bad. Not bad. Gearing up for a big trip? Yeah, yeah. I'm traveling uh, next weekend, which should be fun. Uh, so this is the the week, as, as freelancers are familiar, where I have to work extra hard to create that uh, ability <laughs> to, to leave town. Yep. Um, and this is a bit of a celebratory trip, so I don't want to be working while I'm there. And then the week I get back, we'll get to do that again to make up for the time we were gone. So that's awesome. <laughs> sometimes it makes me wonder if it's worth it, but <laughs> I, I think this particular trip probably will be. In substantial retrospect, it's always worth it. Yes. <laughs> it's just like sometimes it takes five years for you to be like, that trip was great. I've <laughs> totally forgotten how stressful it was. Yeah, there you go. Um, so speaking of stress and our awesome new lives, um, this, this week we're going to talk about what to do, uh, if you're set, if you suddenly find yourself a freelancer, maybe when you didn't really want to be yeah. or intend to be right now, which is different than what we've talked about before where we were like, go do it. It's great. It's a wonderful decision we've both made. But um, that assumes that we entered into it under slightly different circumstances than someone who had a company downsize or other circumstances beyond their control that kind of put them suddenly in this situation. And now they have to figure out everything all at once. Yeah, for sure. And and so this is actually uh, somewhat happened to me um, a few times that a couple of the jobs I've had, uh, I've left under various uh non-ideal circumstances, uh, <laughs> to put it lightly. And so, uh, sometimes you just find yourself, uh, thrust into a situation where it's more of a sink or swim kind of situation. And, uh, so if, if that's, if that's the case, if that's you, then what are the bases you need to cover, uh, like immediately and next to immediately to get yourself up and going? Exactly. Um, it, it, you know, and, and we've talked before about people who are freelancing partially while you're working and maybe that transition's easier if you're side hustling and then, uh, you get let go for instance, and you can just ramp up the side hustle. But even then I, I suspect there's quite a few things that you need to revisit, make sure you're doing, um, well. So, uh, on the immediate basis, so after you um, come down from the shock of this new change and how it's going to affect you, what do you think the first step is? Because I think it would be to set up an entity. Yeah, I I think I would uh, somewhat largely defer to you, but uh, from my own experience of, of getting ramped up uh, just a couple years ago, that felt like the right place to start. It's kind of the no frills, no sexy uh, kind of starting point, but yeah. uh, it's also the one that kind of creates a, uh, it's kind of the foundation for a lot of the other things we'll talk about today. 
Totally. And you don't need another, I mean, you don't have to have a lawyer or anything to, to set up your entity, especially, um, if you have more than one person, you do, I'll just say that. But if you, if it's just you, um, that's uh, as simple as looking, and this is not legal advice, but it's as simple as looking up the requirements for your state's secretary of state. And you probably also not legal advice want to be an LLC. And you probably just want to look up something called the Articles of Organization for LLCs in your state. And you don't need to pay a third-party service provider to file those. You just need to file them yourself. And you can usually call the Secretary of State with questions. And you pay a somewhat nominal fee. I know it's more expensive in Tennessee than it is in Colorado. Um, Colorado is $50. Yeah, I think it's 300 in Tennessee, but still, in the grand scheme of things, not... Um, not a deal breaker. And, and I, I guess it's probably worth saying too, like if you are fearful that you're going to be in this situation, like this is one thing that you could perhaps consider doing as a, as a preparing ahead of time kind of thing. I mean, if you're in Colorado and it's 50 bucks yeah, and that unlocks you to do a, a handful of these other steps we've talked about, you might have some peace of mind or some comfort in knowing that you've, you've already got some of these foundational things knocked out just in case the worst happens. Absolutely. Um, to just cash flow that when you're, you're working, um, can be really helpful. Of course, at that moment, you know, if you haven't been before, start recording your expenses for tax time. Um, and what's really cool is people get a real emotional kick. I've noticed, um, out of having a company set up. Uh, it's like exciting. You can go, you really exist and you're not just you, an individual doing something or a company. Um, so it can make you feel like really good that you're moving in the right direction and, um, don't let it hang you up if you don't know what to call it that I see that really, uh, get in people's way a lot. Um, cause they don't know the name and, I get that because that's a whole branding discussion and maybe you need to do some market research and thought and you just got laid off yesterday or something and you're not there yet. Um, but you can like my uh, actual entity name is like Sharp Law LLC and then everything else is a doing business as. So you, for instance, in Colorado, you can file a trade name. So Sharp Law LLC, DBA, whatever um, for $20. So yeah. That's me too. I mean, mine's called the Bettis Group. And so um, if I had gotten or or someday get further down the road and want to, you know, brand my services under a particular hat or something, that's still an option for me. But the Bettis Group is about as generic as you could possibly get. And that still leaves a lot of open doors and, uh, and isn't, you, you know, oftentimes in the situation, you might not even be totally certain what kind of services you're going to be providing yet. Totally. You know, you may have some rough ideas, but you may not have it all nailed down. So, um, so the notion of branding yourself or coming up with a business name is out of order at this point, you know, so, uh, some sort of, um, generic or ubiquitous, uh, name is, is, uh, a great way to just keep moving. Oh, absolutely. Don't let that slow you down. There's so many decisions to be made at the beginning, especially if you're doing it all at once, that it's like 
just anything you can check off, you should check off. <laughs> and anything that you can get, kick down the road uh, accordingly should probably be kicked down the road. So, um, And the reason you're getting your entity up and running first is because you need that in order to open a bank account usually. So, mm-hmm. um, and you want to open a bank account in your company's name, not your personal name. And you need to not mix your personal finances at all, even in the beginning, if you can help it, um, with your business finances, because that, um, has like legal ramifications for the, the entity provides you a bubble of legal protection, provides your personal assets, a bubble of legal protection. If you were to get sued for something you do in that company, um, and, there's this uh, like bursting the bubble that can happen called piercing the corporate veil if you're if you're mixing your company in personal um money and actions too too much so you want to keep them as separated out as possible from the very beginning yeah and from my perspective to to go and open the bank account i also needed an ein before i did that yes um so uh, half a step back with and and uh, granted i just worked for almost a year at an accounting firm and I <laughs> dealt with other people's EINs, but I really had no idea like what that, that sounded a lot more, um, overwhelming than, than it really was. Yeah. It was very under, <laughs> underwhelming. Um, but yeah, I literally went to like the IRS website and, and just Googled, you know, I need an EIN yeah. and you go to a form there and you fill out like, it, it felt like maybe two questions. Yeah. <laughs> like it's it like 20 like, questions. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a comically little bit of information that they yes. needed. And, and they were just like, sweet, here's your EIN. And it almost felt like I'd done it wrong. You yeah. Know, like it was, yeah. It's like, surely, you know, it's, it's, I've always heard it as like the social security number of your business, but yeah. the social security number is way harder to get. True. <laughs> That's true. It's more, it's more like a, pseudonym for your social security number i think yeah probably that's fair way. but it, it like i do those for clients all the time because i want to make sure they do it and, and some of the times the questions can get, confuse people you need to set up your entity first because you have to say the name and the state is set up in and the, the month and the year that it was set up in um and then you need your social and then you have this like pseudonym. So then you feel really official because you have a letter from the IRS talking about the company that maybe you just set up like two, two minutes ago yeah. and it's got its own social security number. So, you, you know, at this point you're at minute like 45 and you're, you're just really rolling already as a freelancer, which is pretty exciting. I, th- I think when we get to the end of this, we should reflect back and, and estimate how long all these things should take. Yeah, <laughs> or, you know, because like, I think you could probably get a lot of them done in a day. In, in a day, yeah, maybe, maybe less. So, if you're not having to Google a Buzzfeed list for like things that you should do, and you're not, you know, ankle deep trying to figure out how Squarespace works for the first time in your life, because you think you, you know, the website has to be first or whatever. I think if you take it in the right order, you're right. You can get the essential things done probably in a day, um, which is excellent. Yeah. And so. The EIN, for people who don't know, is employer identification number or tax ID. And, um, like, good Lord, keep a copy. <laughs> You're going to want to hang on to that. Yeah. So maybe I'd even throw in there, like, if you don't have a Dropbox or a Google Drive account um, linked to a personal email that you own, get one ASAP and then save that in there in the cloud. Um, memorize it if you can, because uh, getting, you know, finding it out if you, if you lose it is not easy. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I've never considered if that's gone, but I think it lets you print off or save a PDF as a part of, of the little workflow when you're done. So you've, you've got something you can print or save or archive uh, to, to keep that close. Indeed. So you've got a business, you've got like articles of organization, you've got, um, you know, your IRS letter, and then you, you use those to open the bank account that I mentioned, mm-hmm. um, slightly out of order. Any, uh, any recommendations on bank account? Um, that's a good question. And well, I have a, a, a macro and a micro one. I would go ahead while you're there and figure out what you need to do about a card yeah, or at least give that some consideration. It might be the easiest thing to just make sure you're getting a debit card issued as a part of your business checking account. Sure. Um, if you want to do like a company credit card for, you know, any number of reasons, uh, you know, just know that, um, real soon, everything you do is going to start, you know, you're going to have to start paying for those things. So having a method to do that is super helpful. Yeah. And credit cards, can take a lot more time to process and get approved for. So yeah, just like the second you can possibly apply for one of those, if that's the way you're going to do it, um, do that. And, and then, you know, once you open a checking account, you can, you can move money over into it and be functional even before you have a debit card issued. Um, if you need to be and meanwhile, that credit card is like the application is processing somewhere. It's very, um, opaque, whatever's going on behind the scenes when you apply for a credit card, but whatever they do, they're doing it (laughs) and it'll take a while. I've seen too, with, with startup businesses applying for credit cards, often your credit limit is like comically small. And so, um, (laughs) depending on the nature of your business, like it could not really be that helpful, you know, um, like a $500 limit (laughs) just about, you know, you buy a desk and all of a sudden you're you're like, uh, gotta wait till next month. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, and unless there's a good reason for that. And if it's a, a single person company where you don't have to worry about the liability of having employees with cards, um, yeah, I might argue the debit card is, is probably the, the fastest and, and, and most convenient way to go. Yeah. Yeah. The cash flow concept of the credit card is appealing. I have a Southwest, uh, credit card firm in business because we like to, um, not keep track of points, but, uh, they're kind of automatically tracked with the Southwest cards. And so that has allowed us to travel a lot more, um, on the cheap. Um, as far as the bank question recommendations there, um, we, I, I don't know of a good one. Um, the one that, uh, that you and I both use has yeah. not been awesome. Uh, it was awesome for a period of time and then they very dramatically stopped being awesome yes. <laughs> very abruptly. Um, and so I won't recommend them. I will say that, and I've, I've, uh, kind of gone through the process of, of, considering switching banks yeah. uh, as a result of their, uh, our current banks, non awesomeness. W- one thing that I've found is a lot of your big name branch banks that you're, you know, you probably think of, they probably have their name on the side of big buildings in your town. Sure. Um, the ones that those that I've tried in the past, their business accounts look and just a whole lot different than the personal account interface. So like if you're, hmm. if you're banking with like a, you know, some sort of big name bank. I would investigate that a little bit, um, with, with the bank we use personally, which is where I I started in this conversation. Uh, when I first, 
you know, got started as a freelancer, they gave me access to this business portal and it was like 1982 MS DOS, like no app <laughs> needed to give a blood sample each time you needed in the, in the, you know, account and your password had to be changed every 38 seconds. And it was just like uber, uber high security for an account that I was, you know, trying to deposit like $200 in. Yeah. And, and so, um, I wanted a business account experience that mimicked or exceeded my personal account experience. And so that, that wasn't super easy to find. Um, there I'm, I know it exists, even the the bank that we use now that we don't love, um, for a period of time. And I think, um, it will be this way again sometime in the future. It was a little bit more, um, forward thinking, but they, uh, they ended up getting acquired by another bank. And so now we live in this weird dichotomy of like, they're trying to integrate the two and they're doing a, a really uh, horrible job at it. No, oh, that's why. Okay. So, and yeah. just, we're talking about spark capital one, which was awesome. And now sucks. Yeah. So spark business and it got bought by capital one and capital one just abruptly killed the app, changed the URL, like moved the bank in the darkness of night, um, <laughs> to some unfindable place. And, and, uh, from what I understand from a couple of different sources is, is trying to commingle it into the rest of the capital one infrastructure, but, um, there's no timeline on doing that. It's in a continual state of what's what, <laughs> like yeah. where is everything? Uh, and so it's, it's been really frustrating for consumers. There's, um, I found a Reddit thread. I, I haven't told you this, Sarah, but I found a Reddit thread where people were just blasting them. Like, <laughs> Like all of the angry Spark customers had found their way to Reddit and oh, yeah. and had really strong opinions. And I felt um, very vindicated in a lot of my opinions and emotions reading it. But Well, I guess there's two. I mean, I was just thinking of all the things that would post on the Reddit thread. I guess there's two considerations really, right, when you start out. I mean, Spark was uh, online only. So that meant like there's no uh, physical location to go into. Right. Um, which was totally fine with me because I believe that I opened my bank account the first, like the same day that I applied for it. Um, it was so quick and, um, so easy in the app and everything. I couldn't imagine the need to go into the bank account anyways, but then there was some weird glitch when they were transitioning where it wouldn't accept any, uh, pictures of checks. Yeah. And so I had all these checks I needed to deposit like yesterday and I would try and it would kick it back over and over again. And I called and I finally got a hold of somebody and they said they didn't know what to do. And then ultimately they were like, well, you can mail them to us with, you know, just like in a regular envelope, which is nerve wracking as heck. Cause you don't know. I mean, I know that sounds like yeah. probably if you're, if you're older, more old school, it's less nerve wracking. But to me, I'm like, well, but how will I know <laughs> that it didn't disappear? And then somebody somewhere apparently like deposited them 10 days later later and it sucked it was a horrible experience so that time i wished i had an in-person bank account yeah yeah it's one of those things if it's working well it's great and if it's not it gets really bad really quickly yeah um yeah, so, yeah you're in a real bind i hadn't really so that's a consideration and then the second consideration is do you want to use the same bank you use for your personal i chose to do something different because i really wanted to avoid accidentally intermingling um, but what, what was your thought on that, Rob? Yeah. So the, the first bank, the first business account I opened was with our, the bank we, we bank at personally. Oh, and it was just and garbage interface. 
Yeah, it was the like 1982 DOS thing. Yeah. And what was really interesting about it is that they did not have a mechanism for me to be able to transfer money in and out of the business account. Like it had to be a check. Yeah. So like I couldn't transfer. It was easier for me to transfer from Spark to our personal bank than it was from our personal bank to our personal personal bank. In the same bank. Yeah. <laughs> That's the same insane. bank, like the same building. And so I would have to like, for a brief moment, I was having to, to write physical checks and then go to, you know, and then scan them with my, Lord. my personal app. And I was just like, this is insane. And so, um, yeah, so just, just something to be aware of. I actually went through and, and found a handful of banks that I was considering and went and figured out if they had a particular app that was strictly for business. Like if there's a, you know, the, the personal app in the app store for like a regions. And then is there like a regions business app? Yeah. Um, and I found, um, like went through and figured out what the ratings were for all the business apps. And and so part of how I chose uh, spark was really just because their app was highly rated and it looked like a modern banking app should, um, before they, uh, totally abandoned it and <laughs> left all their customers high and dry. That is so brutal. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's not a bad way to assess. Um, you know, uh, you know what you're going to need in a bank or your customers likely going to be paying you online or are they going to be mailing checks or they, you know, do you, do you need to be able to uh, process credit cards somehow, uh, offline? Um, you know, those sorts of things, uh, will, will, uh, heavily influence where you bank and, and kind of what decision you make there. But um, just the factors to cons consider when making that decision. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. But you, it's not a permanent choice. Um, so yep. don't let choosing a bank be the thing that keeps you from moving on to the next step. This is a triage situation. We're in an emergency protocol and you got to keep moving forward. Yeah. So if that means starting with your... Um, even if it means starting with, you know, a little drop down account in your existing personal, just to keep moving, um, do it. But, uh, yeah, I would agree with that. And in fact, and with that in mind, you know, getting an account at your current bank may be the fastest, right? Like right. you could go in, you already have a relationship established, you know, you might be able to, uh, influence that decision to, to move faster than normal. And those could all be huge advantages. Yeah. Um, so once you have that set up, uh, and you've got your bank account, mm -hmm. you, you're, you're ready to spend money on things, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. um, but even really before that, cause you don't actually have a way to pay for anything yet. I would probably say the next is to get an email address that you can just start, um, well, A, you can immediately go back into your bank account and set it up so that that's the contact for, for that, uh, bank account. And um, you can start emailing individuals pretty quickly um, to let them know what's going on at an email address that's not like um, teamedward at yahoo.com or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not what you want. That's a Twilight reference, in case you didn't know. <laughs> Beanie baby lover at com. <laughs> No, I'll make a, I'll make a recommendation here. I'm going to put my nerd hat on for these next couple. Um, I, so, so the next one, an email address, the one following that that we're going to talk about in a second is a landing page for your business. And, yeah. um, you can accomplish both of those very easily with Squarespace. 
Um, and Squarespace has a way for you to set up email uh, to buy a domain and to add email to it using Google Apps or G Suite, I think it's called now, which is far and away what I would suggest as an, uh, an email provider. Um, and you can do all of that without needing to be nerdy at all. Uh, it makes that interface really easy. So, um, you know, you could create a Squarespace account, you could buy that domain name, you could create, you know, associate an email address with it, and you could then start building out a landing page for it. Ooh. Um, I'm very specifically saying landing page and I'm going to keep saying landing page over and over and over. Cause I'm not saying a website. <laughs> I'm saying a landing page. Um, Squarespace has a bunch of templates that you can use to build, uh, web properties. And, uh, many of them are kind of classified as landing pages. They're just single page websites, not like big, long, scrolly, fancy things, just like, a it loads, you get like a paragraph of two of information, maybe a couple of photos and a logo or something like that logo optional, and you're off and running. And so for me, uh, I, this would be a tremendous hurdle. Like I could waste a tremendous amount of time on the website when that's not really appropriate at this stage in the game uh, in this scenario. So, and, and like, it's the kind of thing that's alluring to spend a ton of time, like messing around on because you don't really want to face the, the harder, less creative, more scary tasks. So don't let it entrap you. The quicksand of building yeah. a website with like 12 different pages that you're just going to have to go back and revise when you um, figure things out. Yeah. Cause that's what you're really doing. You're, you're, it's forcing you to write a business plan and publish it online for the public. Right. And we're just not there yet. You know, in this, in this situation, like you just started your business earlier that, that day, like before lunch. And so now is not the time to, uh, to plan, you know, the next 10 years of that business. It's really, uh, about getting some sort of way for people to contact you and, and giving the, the most minimal, necessary information about who you are and what you do. Absolutely. Yeah. Slap a picture up there if you have one. But mm -hmm. I mean, other than that, because at this point, you just want to make sure that whatever you do, you're putting you, your name in, in your face and like the forefront, your contact information is in the middle of changing because you're leaving your former employer and starting this new thing. And you need to start building um, your brand with day one. And that's just you're your brand. So get that out front. Then if you change the name of your company 10 times, you've still, you know, you're, you've had that continuity at least. Yeah. I think at that, at that phase, all these things that we're talking about, especially on the tech front are, can be very easily temporary. And by the time you get to a place where you know what your business should have been called and you know what your services should have been on day one, and all that kind of stuff, you will have revenue flowing through the business in such a way that going back and revisiting this, even if it means with the help of somebody else to like help migrate your old email to your new email or your old URL to your new URL, that kind of thing, um, will be money well spent. Like, you know, it's not a decision you can make today and, but it's, it's a, um, decision that's easily translatable to the future. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of when you're when you're starting, like when you buy your domain name, and you, you're going to need to choose a domain name, because that's going to be um, where your landing page lives, right? And your also email address, um, the end of that, um, you, you get a lot of questions, like, 
Rob from Squarespace, you know, how long do you want to commit to having Squarespace host and how long do you want to have bought the domain name for? What do you recommend people do for that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, so you buy domain names a year at a time. And so most of them are between 12 and $20 a year. Um, no one owns a domain name. Everyone rents them. Uh, but once you're renting them, you have to give them up. I mean, they're more or less yours unless, unless you give them up. So, um, if you do one of the fancier, um, new top level domains, like if it's, you know, like, um, uh, you know, Rob, Rob work or, you know, Rob plumber or Rob you know, construction, those can sometimes be more, but you know, certainly under a hundred dollars, usually in the 40 to $60 range, if you get some sort of fancy one. And so, um, anyways, so one-time purchase sub $50 and you've got a year of your domain. If you add email to it with uh, G suite, Google's, um, uh, platform for one user, you're looking at like, I think it's like under five fifty a month, yeah, like five dollars and fifty cents a month, um, and then for the website, I think you could get the the landing page up for like eight dollars a month. And I, my personal opinion, and I think this depends on what type of personality you are, but for things like uh, online subscription kind of things, uh, I almost always default to the month to month plan. If the annual plan is a little bit cheaper that doesn't matter to me because, um, oftentimes better things come along. So, so rapidly that it's, that it's often rare that I'm going to finish that full year, you know? Interesting. That is surprising to me. And also I wish I'd known that before I committed to, um, year long, like I, uh, software subscriptions. <laughs> well, so I think we're, I, I completely agree. Yeah. I, well, I think for some people like, you don't want to come back to this decision, right? Like yeah. you just want to make this decision. You want to be done. And for those types of people, like, you know, save a few bucks and get the year plan, knock yourself out. Um, but if you're just getting started and there's a high likelihood that you're going to end up revising a lot of these tools and, and the setup, then I, I wouldn't necessarily get committed to a year of it. You know, it could be that six months in you realize, uh, this wasn't the tool for me or, or, you know, I've, I've, a new competitor has come about or I've, I've got a new system in place and it, or, or I've, I've found, you know, a traditional employment again, what have you. Yeah. And, and just having the month to month, the flexibility of all that. Um, I, I rarely regret that. Um, I will say that for something like Squarespace, which I use for my own site, um, at this point I've had them a couple of years and now I will do the year long thing because like, I think it's unlikely I'm going to, make a change that significant, you know, that significantly when I don't know any other players that I would even consider. Yeah. Uh, but just starting out, you know, you know, there are a lot of questions that I, w I wasn't sure of, like if I wanted to be on Squarespace, if I wanted to be on a, a different CMS like WordPress, or, you know, if I needed all these other bells and whistles that I just didn't even know if, if, and when I might need them. Um, so the month to month plan gives you a lot more flexibility and you can, you can uh, transition faster if you need to. I agree wholeheartedly at this point, do month to month on everything. Cause you just, 
you don't have your bearings, even if you think you do, um, give it some time and things will probably shift, whether it's what you decide you want to spend money on or how you want to brand, or if you want to work with somebody else, not just by yourself, which changes all of this, or, uh, you get traditional employment, um, you know, three months in, and then you've paid for a year of these things, which makes sense at the time. And all of it, I mean, it can be overwhelming. I know that we're taking each step and saying, you know, it's $8 for this, for Squarespace and it's, it's like $5 for your email address. But, you know, like in a situation where you've just lost your job, that can, that can be kind of stressful, even though it's, um, a relatively small amount of money. So how did you kind of, uh, talk yourself into the right amount to spend up front, Rob? I don't know. I mean, for me, I made a list of the things I needed, like absolutely needed to, to give myself a shot at being successful at, at that, you know? Yeah. And, and it was just, I, I don't think I bought any of those things extravagantly. You know, I think I, I made sound decisions for each one, but, but I made, but I bought those things, you know, I, I checked each one of those boxes and I made sure that, um, I wasn't letting, you know, dimes stand in the way of dollars, so to speak. Yeah. What about you? Um, I, it was, it was hard for me to prioritize. And in retrospect, I think I would have um, spent more money up front. I was really nervous to, to overdo it. And so I spent just an absurd amount of time making things more difficult for myself than they had to be. Um, and got away of my productivity a little bit, but that's okay. That's probably the better, uh, issue to, you know, side to air on. Yeah. Um, so, you know, at this point you're, you're in the first half of your first day, you've got an entity, hopefully you've got a bank account, um, an EIN, which is making you feel official. Um, you have your credit card, uh, applied for if you're going to do one and then maybe you've got your, your email and, um, uh, even a landing page, even if it just says coming soon, you know? Yep. Um, so I, I, this is where we differ because I would say, um, probably before the landing page, even get your insurance applied for, um, this in my profession, you have to, you need to have your entity name before you apply for your insurance. You can go ahead and apply for it as an individual, but then you're going to have to revise your application. So if you're doing this all in one fell swoop, get an entity set up, call and get an insurance um, application started ASAP, uh, so that you're covered and that's malpractice insurance for me Yep. for everybody else. If you, if you've never run a business before or what have you, you know, call your regular, your renter's insurance or your homeowner's insurance person and ask about an umbrella policy because that is wise to use. Let's touch on a little bit of who to call to get that. Yeah. I mean, what's, what's a good avenue to shop or explore that's, wise, but not all consuming. Yeah. Um, for malpractice insurance, you just, I mean, I would recommend finding the ethics board here at the bar, um, and emailing somebody who's, uh, working for under the professional ethics of the bar association where you are mm -hmm. and get a referral that way. Um, you can Google it. It's not, there's not a many, um, providers. So, uh, shopping around is kind of an issue. I'll, I'll just throw some numbers out there. The, the longer you practice, a lot of people are like, how much should I be paying for insurance? Which totally, I had no idea. You could have told me something with like 
like you could have had a, a solid $5,000 spread in there and I would have believed it without blinking, you know? Um, and that's terrifying because you can't just Google and say, Hey, I've been practicing five or six years. What should I be paying for malpractice insurance? And it does depend on a variety of factors, like what you're practicing and stuff. Um, but if it's more of the, basically you want to do that month to month as well, if you can, and then you can always, uh, pivot if you find out you're paying too much, <laughs> but at least you have it. Um, and then reach out to somebody, you know, who's practicing, um, solo or somebody you don't know and, and ask them for a referral and about what they are paying. I've never paid more than $2,500 for a year personally yet. Nice. But it goes up as you, um, as you have more years of practice. Yeah. I think from my perspective, um, I, I don't need that malpractice kind of insurance, but, um, a lot of folks in my space might require, uh, on the low end, that umbrella policy that you mentioned, Yeah. um, on the high end, you know, maybe specific liability or errors and omission type insurance, uh, on, on the you know business level. Um, I've found that insurance brokers are, uh, a great way to go and, me define that a little bit more. There are essentially two different kinds of insurance agents. There's uh, captive insurance agents, which are folks that work for a specific company, like your uh, your State Farm guy, your Allstate guy, your Farm Bureau guy, whatever. And those folks can sell you any product that that one company offers. Um, but third party brokers, um, which are usually operating under a, a business name that isn't something that you see commercials for. Um, they often can offer you a variety of insurances uh, or in, a variety of insurance products from a variety of different companies. And, and so the companies they're representing often are not a big name commercial company either. Um, maybe, maybe so, but maybe not. Um, but they can go and get the, you know, a price for a particular product from a dozen companies and come back and give you rates for the ones that, you know, the, the three companies that are most, uh, competitive. And so they can take a lot of the legwork out of having to, you know, to do a lot of price pricing and comparison. Um, so if that's an option, that's a super smart option to, to pursue and completely. Yeah. So getting that recommendation of a broker is, is kind of a great way to go. And then, uh, most of them will have the, the back office staff to, you know, to get that quote and stuff together in a timely way and, um, get you moving again. And getting, I mean, you want things to be covered. It takes some time to get insurance in place. Cause that's not a thing that you can have started immediately. So that's why it's still on day one. That's probably getting you're you're probably, even if you have time left on this day, one of activities to get set up, you're probably mentally tapped. <laughs> so, yeah. but that's why you want to get this one in under the wire get your emails in, um, get somebody on notice that they need to send you an application. So next is kind of, this is one I added to the list and it's a little bit, um, obscure, but, uh, I have on here, define your village. Um, and so what I, what I mean by village is it, it, the, the phrase, it takes a village, I think when you're doing business solo, it's a little bit of a misnomer because in reality, at least in my experience, Sarah, feel free to disagree or, or echo this. My, the, the success I've found as an independent has 
largely been attributable to people in my life who have been a part of that success that have oh, absolutely gone the extra mile to, to make a referral or make an introduction or, or throw my name in a hat. And, and so if I'm a day one person where I'm, you know, starting a business in a day, I think I at least begin the process of defining my village or defining the people who I feel like would go to bat for me. Oh, I like um, that. Yeah. So you're at this point, you maybe have closed your computer and been like, all right, I'm good to go. And now you're just like thinking about the people who are in your corner. Yeah. This is a little bit less tactical and a little bit starting to look forward. And it's starting to say like, who are the people that I have great professional and personal relationships with that would go to bat for me? And that could be, could be an asset to my business getting started. Um, and I think coming up a list of coming up with a list of who those people are might be some really valuable, valuably used time. Is that a word? Valuably? I think so. It's an adverb. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Cause it ends in L-Y. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, because I, th I think the next thing we're going to do for those folks is consider ways that you can help them and ways that you can reach out to them and offer maybe one or two very palatable or easily understandable services. They may be like a tiny speck of what you used to do at your traditional job. But I think focusing on something that is understandable to the layperson, um, understandable to anyone on this list allows you to go and, and get those people moving for you. I you like know, that. The, the, you could reach out to them on a personal level and you can say, Hey, you know, change of plans. Here's my deal today, moving forward, you know, upbeat, positive, no sour grapes, but like, this is what's happening moving forward. And if, you know, if I can help you with this one or two, one or two things, I would love to, or if, you know, if someone in your life could be, you know, could get value from these one or two services I have to offer, like, I just appreciate it if you just keep me in mind or throw my name out. And, and I think that that in a couple hours time of reaching out, figuring out who those people are, reaching out to them and, and just a casual, not super salesy, not desperate kind of way, but just letting them know can be a great way to start sowing some seeds. Yeah, I totally agree. But for day one, you're making the list of the people. You don't have to reach out to them yet. You're just making the list. Yeah. It's very doable. And then you can keep that list. And then just that's a thing that you do when you're too tapped out at the other stuff is you um, look back at it. And, and when those people in your mind, a lot of times you'll you'll see like a news article that reminds you of something that they're interested in. You can send to them and say, hey, this reminded me of you. Oh, hey, by the way, did you know I'm doing this now? Yeah. Which is kind of a nice way to not be all salesy or come across sour grapesy or desperate or anything like that. But you have to be in a good spot. You don't want to shoot out a bunch of emails um, right after you get let go or um, right after something like that. Um, if you're not in a good steady mental spot where you're able to control the tone and because um, that's part of your brand of what you're doing. You want it to come across intentional and calm. 
and and like please for 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 all that is holy do not just uh, put all of their email addresses in one email. And, oh gosh, and yeah. Send send it out. Um, you know, this is more of a, and that's probably the value of taking a moment to to come up with this list because I feel like the more you chew on it, the more little pockets of people yeah. you'll come up with, and then and then just start the business. You know, uh, maybe not day one, but but maybe shortly thereafter, start the business of just reaching out to each one in a very personal and organic way. And, and really just figuring out ways, like Sarah mentioned, seeing them an article, just figuring out ways to be generous towards them, you know, and, and see what you can do to help them. And, and, um, you know, most people will reciprocate and see what they can do to help you. It's, um, if you had a work calendar and they've somehow awkwardly saved it for you, which happened to me a lot. And there's like, that I know, I have no idea how I'd migrate that to something else. But I went through and pulled all the birthdays, um, you know, in the middle of some class, uh, day, day like seven or eight. I just pulled my birthdays over so that at least then when people had birthdays, I could reach out to them and say, hey, former colleague, saw my calendar, it was your birthday, later. And then they see your new signature and they've, you're back on their mind. That's great. I mean, and it's organic. You're being a good friend. It's not slimy, yeah. but it's, it's being more intentional about those touch points and, um, just, you know, trying to be generous to those people that can, that can help spread your network. Totally. All right. It's been a cool. good day one <laughs> as <a> entrepreneur. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to freelancing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Freelancering. Freelancering. You've accomplished a lot. So mm-hmm. we'll pick up with the day two stuff uh, next week. Yeah. Yeah. Next week we're going to do like a two, two episode series. And so next week we're going to talk about um, what comes next and uh, look ahead to that. Unless it was a good. Hey, yeah. Hey, uh, Sarah, let me ask you a personal question real quick. If someone wanted to find show notes for this episode, where could they do that? That's very personal. Uh, <laughs> unfederated.studio is yes. where I would go. I think you'd be wise to do that. Oh, thank you. Um, awesome. Thanks. Good chatting. Good chatting. Have a good week.